miles away and uh, my husband was just such a treasure this morning because he refused to let me go and get the snow off my car and he actually went out and did it for me isn't that lovely I am a blessed woman (laughs) well my name is Jen for those of you that that don't yet know me um, if you didn't get teaching notes when you came in, if you don't want to just put your hands up, one of the Connect team will bring those to you and you can follow with us as we go through. So this week, we are on week two of our brand new series, Coming Home for Christmas. And as Simon shared last week, you know, home is a word that we often associate with Christmas. I'm sure many of you may travel home for Christmas, or perhaps you've got relatives that are traveling to you to come home for Christmas. There's that sense of coming home and just wanting to celebrate and enjoy that Christmas season together. But for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, home has an even greater significance. Because as Simon said last week, home is not just a place. Home is a person. 
the person of Jesus. You see, the whole basis of our faith is based on the fact that this Jesus left the comfort of his home in heaven, came to earth, died on a cross, rose again, all so that we could come home to him. That is the message of the gospel. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Jesus came so that we could come to him. And so under this theme of coming home for Christmas, I want to speak today about one of the hallmarks of God's home. I want to speak today about the importance of joy. You know, Paul said that the kingdom of heaven is about three things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so today I want to look at three aspects of joy, three characteristics of joy that we can see in the Christmas story and just look at how we can begin to cultivate these in our own lives. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, if you haven't got your Bibles, the passage is actually on the front of the teaching notes. Luke chapter 2 and we're going to read from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. <clears throat> you know, there are certain moments, certain events, certain days in our life that have such a deep impact on us that they seem to leave a, a permanent place in our memory. And I think that night, that scene with the shepherds was one of those moments for Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, she'd already heard the good news that would bring great joy some nine months earlier 
when the angel Gabriel appeared to her personally and told her that even though she was a virgin, she was going to conceive and give birth to a son. But more than that, this would be no ordinary child. Her son would be called the Son of the Most High. He would be the Messiah. He would be a leader like this world had never heard or seen before. Mary can, can barely take in the news, but she faithfully responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. But then, oh my goodness, the joy and the celebration that Mary experiences when she heads off to see her relative Elizabeth, who the angel Gabriel has told her that amazingly, Elizabeth is also pregnant after many, many years of being unable to conceive. And you see this amazing scene of these two women just rejoicing together in the promises of God and what God is going to do in them and through them. But nothing could have prepared Mary for what lay ahead. Because shortly before the birth, the ruler of that day, Caesar Augustus, suddenly decides that he wants to call a census. And every single person has to return to their hometown. Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth at that time. And so that meant probably what was a three-day journey back to Bethlehem. This could not have come at a worse time for Mary. There were no special conditions, no exemptions, no get-out clause for pregnant women in those days. There was no postal vote, no online vote, no excuses. You had to be there in person. And so at a time when an expectant mother and a, and a first-time expectant mother at that would have been wanting to just make all those final preparations for that precious baby and take the time to rest, Mary has to make this difficult journey to Bethlehem. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Every step, just praying, dear God, please don't let me go into labor on this journey. And then the relief she must have experienced when finally up ahead she sees the sign, welcome to Bethlehem, only to discover when they get there that every single hotel, every hostel, every bed and breakfast is completely fully booked and there is no room at the inn. Tired, and weary, they finally find a place in a stable. And Mary gives birth to her precious baby. No nursery, no furniture, just a manger, an unused feeding trough that Mary lays that precious baby in. No baby clothes, just cloths literally rags, that she uses to wrap that baby in. You know, I think if Mary could have seen that scene all those months ago, I think it would have been a far cry from how she imagined it when the angel Gabriel first broke that news. And you know, I think that can often be such a parallel content to our journey of faith. 
as Christians. You know, when we first become Christians, when we first meet Jesus, I mean, oh, the joy, oh, the wonder, oh, we are just enjoying Jesus. Just enjoying his love and enjoying his, his comfort, enjoying his peace. And even though we know and even though we're told and even though we read in the Bible that just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that we're exempt from trouble, it still almost always surprises us when it comes. But you know, James, who wrote the book in the, in the New Testament, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see, it's in our moments of challenge that our roots have to go deeper into the soil of God's love. We have to dig deep, and it's there that we discover just how amazing and wonderful our God is. The God who will never leave us or forsake us. The God who has promised to be with us always. The God in whom we find our home. So can you see just how incredible, just how moving, just how deeply touching it must have been for Mary that night when into that scene walk those shepherds full of joy, celebrating. They've just seen a, a company of angels declaring the Son of the Most High, the Messiah, the Lord has come. And they're just excited to see this new baby and to, to see it for themselves. How, how much that must that, that sight just have lifted Mary's spirits and brought joy I just imagine Mary in those moments when, that's, when we read that text and it says, but Mary pondered, treasured these things in her heart. I just, I just wonder, I can just imagine Mary saying, thank you. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you come true on your promises. Thank you, Father, that you never leave us. That even though this has been a difficult journey, thank you, Father, for reminding me that you are always with me. Mary, I believe, in that moment experiences joy. Oh, it wasn't a party-popping, celebrating, exuberant kind of joy. It was a deep-seated kind of joy. The joy that comes from knowing that our home is in God. You see, I believe that joy is linked to faith. One of the evidences of our faith, I believe, is the consistent presence of joy in our lives through the ups and downs of our lives. And that is so different to the kind of joy that the world offers us. A joy that is based on external experiences, lovely things happening, and an emotional response to lovely things and exciting things. Joy for the believer is a choice, a lifestyle, a decision, an evidence of walking with Jesus. Rick Warren, who's a well-known pastor and teacher, he says this about joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice 
to praise God in every situation. I'm going to read that again. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise him in every situation. I want to ask you today, how are you doing in the area of joy? How are you doing in the area of joy? Because wherever you may feel you are on that scale, I have good news for you today. God wants to increase your joy. Do you know why? Because it's the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. It's the joy of the Lord that, that gives us that strength and sustains us. You see, joy is not something that we produce in and of ourselves. Joy is something that God produces in us as we walk with him. So none of us can say, oh, you know what, I'm just not wired that way. I just don't have that kind of joyful personality. Joy is part of the character and nature of God. And so as believers and followers of Jesus, we have the ability to walk in joy because it's something that God produces in us. You know, the angels told the shepherds the good news that would bring them great joy was Jesus, the Savior. It's because of Jesus that we have joy. You know, joy is found in the presence of God. The Psalms talk so much about how, how, how much joy we have in his presence. In your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. Wherever God is, there is joy. An increasing joy is evidence of our relationship with Jesus. You know, before this, Jesus left this earth, he taught his disciples about the importance of staying connected, of staying in his presence, and he used the analogy of a vine. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if you stay connected to me, I will stay connected to you. And then he turned to the disciples and he said, I have told you this so that you may have joy, and that your joy may be complete. Joy is developed in our lives as we walk with Jesus. And so today, I want to just explore three characteristics of joy that we see in the Christmas story. The first one, the first characteristic of joy, I believe, is celebration. And this is your first point, if you're making notes, this is the first blank, celebration. You know, we see this in Mary, you know, she rushes off, here's the news about Elizabeth also being pregnant, rushes off, and there's this amazing exchange between the two women. But you know what is so incredible about that scene? Is that Mary's going off to, to see Elizabeth, but as soon as Elizabeth sees Mary, I mean, Elizabeth must have been so excited after all those years of not being able to have a baby, and then suddenly, in her old age, she actually conceives. But Elizabeth just puts aside her own good news, and she's just overcome with excitement and joy for Mary. And, the, and she just rejoices in her news. You see, you know, good news is meant to be shared. 
When we're joyful, we want to celebrate with others. We want to, we want to hear about others. We want to celebrate their good news. And Elizabeth just begins to, to encourage Mary and celebrate with her. She's like, Mary, this is amazing. This is amazing, Mary, you are so favored by God. God loves you so much. Imagine that he has done this for you. Imagine that God has entrusted this to you. And Mary just receives this. She's so overcome with joy that she begins to praise God and she just begins to sing this song of praise to God. You see, when we bring joy, it sparks joy in others. Joy bubbles up and it overflows as we celebrate. So we go into the presence of God and we worship him. We celebrate Jesus. And then with that same joy, we're meant to go out into the world and bring that spirit of celebration. You know, it's the same um, in that field with the shepherds when the angels suddenly appeared and give the shepherds the fright of their life. I mean, can you imagine the drama of that scene? It's just totally pitch black. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel appears... And the field is just floodlit with the presence of God. I mean, it must have been astounding. The angel Gabriel shares the news, and then suddenly out of nowhere, there's this amazing heavenly choir singing praises to God. You know, God, is, God was not half-hearted about how he announced the arrival of his son. And we too, we... You know, we need to bring that same spirit of celebration to the lives of those around us. When was the last time that you celebrated someone's news? When was the last time that you celebrated someone else's joy? When you looked beyond yourself and your own circumstances and your own world and you actually celebrated them? You see, joy is a gift from God that we're meant to give away. We're meant to be carriers of that joy in every situation that we go into. And joy is contagious. Joy sparks joy in others. Celebration is a really important aspect of joy. And I think Christmas is a great opportunity to practice that discipline of celebration. The second characteristic of joy, I believe, is contentment. Contentment. You know, I, I think that contentment is something that is so counterculture these days. You know, we live in a culture that just thrives on discontent. We're always looking for the next thing, the bigger and better thing. But then as soon as we get there, the goalposts move. And then, oh, there's the next bigger and better thing. It's just, you know, the goalpost is constantly moving. And we never fully reach it because we're so discontented. And, you know, another element of discontentment is entitlement. When, we're, when we feel entitled, we, we know our rights. You know, we feel we deserve things. We feel we have the right to things. You know, entitlement makes demands. But then I read the Christmas story, and I just think about Mary and Joseph and that journey to, to Bethlehem and knocking on every door. And I mean, I just think, gosh, not once did, did Joseph actually say, don't you realize the baby that she's carrying? I mean, haven't you, can't you even squeeze this in? Can't you see that she's literally about to go into labor anytime soon? 
I mean, was there really nobody that would take pity on them and take them in? And, you know, I think they could have been forgiven for being just a little bit disgruntled or a little bit dissatisfied or a little bit annoyed at that situation. And yet we don't see any of that. You know, Mary and Joseph were contented. They didn't complain. They didn't make demands. Because I believe they were looking to God. They were trusting God. You know, Paul says in Philippians that he's learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. He says, I can do this. I can be content because of the strength that Christ gives me. You remember the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I believe that when we have joy, we are contented. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, when you're contented, nobody can steal your joy. No circumstance can steal your joy because you have that inner contentment that doesn't come from anything external. It comes from the life of God on the inside of you. And the last element of joy, I believe, that we see in this passage is comfort. And I don't know whether you've ever thought about comfort being an aspect of joy. But the more I've thought about it, the more I believe that it is such an integral part of joy. And we see this in in the passage at the end. You've got these two contrasting uh, expressions. You've got the shepherds returning home and they're full of joy and full of excitement. And then you've got Mary who's got that deep felt comfort, I believe that reassurance from God of pondering these things in her heart. You see, it's the comfort of God that enables us to have joy even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. You know, the opposite of joy is sadness. But sadness is a continuum. And you know, as you move down sadness, I believe right at the end of sadness is despair. And when we despair, we lose sight of God altogether. And we turn in on ourselves and in on our own circumstances and in on our own problems. We lose sight of God. But you see, when we can experience that comfort of God, it enables us to hope. It enables us to keep going. And I can remember a time in my life when I really experienced the comfort of God like I had never experienced it before. You know, many of you know my background that 12 years ago I experienced divorce and for me that was one of the most painful, perhaps the most painful experience of my life. And you know, at that time I, I just thought I'm never, I felt like I would never get over the pain. And there was one particular day when I was just feeling so low. And all I could think of all day was, I just don't want to be here anymore. I just actually don't want to carry on anymore. And that night, I I went to my connect group, not because I wanted to, but I just felt, you know what, if I can just get there, it will do me good, it will be good for me. 
And I went, to, I went to the connect group, we sat down, and the leader decided to start it in a different way. She, she said, oh, I really want to just play a, a CD for you. I've just been thinking about it. And so we all just sat around. She said, I just want you to close your eyes and just allow God to minister to you while you listen to this CD. And I closed my eyes, and the song was a song called, Jesus, You Are My Salvation. All of my trust is in you. You have saved my soul. What more could I need? Still you choose to pour your blessings on me. Every day you give, I'll live it with you and delight in your presence. Jesus, how I love you, Jesus. Everything within me cries to you. Redeemer, my saviour, everything within me cries to you. I sat there in my chair, just tears rolling down my cheeks. I just experienced the comfort of God. And I said to God, God, you are enough for me. You are the reason I will continue to get out of bed every day. You are the reason I will continue to go on. And you know, I share that story because, you know, I, I know in a room this size, there will be people here and for you, Christmas may be actually a very difficult time. There will be some of you here, you've lost loved ones. Some of you here, maybe you're experiencing long-term sickness. Some of you here, you know, there's there's other challenges, maybe financial struggles and things. And perhaps Christmas for you doesn't feel so much of a joyful time. And I really believe that the Spirit of God just wants to draw near to you today and release his comfort to you each and every day that you would know that he is with you, that he is for you, that he will never leave you, that no matter what happens, underneath you are the everlasting arms and you are home. Can we stand in the presence of God?